Our text today is in 1 Kings, chapter number 17. We're beginning our Thanksgiving services now. I think that's the right thing to do. And we're going to be talking about giving thanks all the way up through Thanksgiving. And I want it to linger right up to Christmas. And we want to be thankful and grateful to God for His wonderful things He's done. The things that are around you are meant to remind you of what God has done for us. The beauty that He's created just for our enjoyment. Uh, these colors that you see around you and the finest little things. Uh, are, some of them are just wild grass that grows in the field nobody ever noticed. And there, here they are, these beautiful things that God has created. And so we're thankful to God for the big things he does and for the little things that he does. Our text today is 1 Kings chapter number 17. As we turn our hearts towards Thanksgiving. My mother was always correcting us when we were growing up. Bad behavior simply wasn't permitted. That's all there was to that. But it went beyond that. One of the things my mother always did was to correct our speech. She wanted us to speak well. We weren't allowed to say the word ain't. And when... We used the word ain't, like that ain't what I want. We were stopped, and she said, say it correctly. So we'd have to say, that isn't what I want. (laughs) And sometimes she'd say, don't say ain't, right? Your mother will faint. Father will fall in a bucket of paint, right? You've heard that before. Used to say that as a reminder to us. And always in our speech... There were no swear words ever, ever. When we heard someone from outside use those words later on, when we were back alone again, my mother would comment on it. And she would say, those words are used by people who don't have the intellect enough to communicate correctly. And so that was clear. (laughs) Only once did I ever hear a swear word, any of us use one. That was my sister who, after she got up, left the room and shut the door, whispered it quietly under her breath. (laughs) She knew better than to say it out loud. But if I were to say what mom continually kept after us for, it was four words repeated Over and over and over again, repeated at the supper table, repeated in the store, repeated at friends' house. Wherever we went, I constantly heard my words, my mother say those four words, which is, what do you say? All right. If you said, pass the corn, she jumped right in. What do you say? Please pass the corn. And then again, what do you say? Thank you for passing the corn. And she looked at the other person. And what do you say? (laughs) You're welcome. It wasn't over. Yeah, one more turning back to you. And what do you say? And we had to say, don't mention it. (laughs) So her purpose was to make our conversation at the table pleasant 
which is something we could all use, right? We could all use pleasant conversation. And more than that, I think she was trying to ingrain into our characters gratitude. The dictionary defines gratitude as thankful appreciation for favors received. Taken from the word gratis, which means pleasing. So mom, always trying to correct our speech, was teaching us the habit of pleasant conversation, which naturally included being thankful and expressing your gratitude. Sometimes at the table when she would say, what do you say? We just said it all. Please, thank you. You're welcome. Don't mention it. <laughs> Make sure we got it all in right away. Because we know it wasn't going to stop until we finished it. As we approach Thanksgiving, particularly this year, we may find it more difficult in this upside-down world to be thankful. So I usually preach two sermons on Thanksgiving. This year I'm doing four. Starting with last week's sermon, I'm determined, you remember the text, whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. A Thanksgiving sermon from Philippians 4. This week our Thanksgiving text is 1 Kings chapter number 17. Now let me set up the scene that we are about to observe in our text. A wicked king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, were ruling over Israel. And for their wickedness, God sent Elijah the prophet to tell Ahab, This is what God says to you. It will not rain again until I say so. And then he just turned and walked away. And old Ahab laughed it off. Well, about a year later, when it hadn't rained and got pretty dry, the crops were failing. Then the old king said, find that guy. Get a hold of him. We need him back here. But they couldn't find him. He was hiding up in the mountains. Way up in the mountains, drinking water from a brook that passed through by him. And he was being fed by the ravens. But now, two years into the famine, and two years into the dry spell, even that mountain brook had dried up. And so we pick it up, that story, 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a woman, widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I might go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. 
And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Can you imagine this amazing picture? God tells Elijah, go to Zarephath. I have commanded a widow woman there to feed you. And so, it's a long walk to Zarephath. We think it was at least 75 miles. So when Elijah arrives, he's very dry. After all, there is no water. Every brook and every stream is dried up. Elijah comes walking to the town. He's a hairy man. He's all covered with long hair and a huge beard. Totally unkept. He looks like the wild man. And now as he comes, he's looking for the widow who God has promised would feed him. Naturally, you might think it might be a woman of means whose husband had left her well off, who lived comfortably and was able to support another mouth. But that is not at all what happened. In the outskirts of town, probably where there was a deep dug well that supplied water for that town, Elijah sees a woman alone wearing all worn out garments searching through the brush for little sticks which she is collecting in her arms. Her face reflects weariness and care. Obviously not a wealthy woman, but instead a woman in the very grip of poverty. Hot and sweaty from his long walk with his mouth all dry Elijah first asked her for a drink, which she is able to supply from the well. And it seems she's glad to give Elijah a drink. And as she goes to the well, Elijah calls after her, if it's possible, maybe a slice of bread. And then she turns and tells Elijah just about the most heartbreaking story you ever heard. I have no bread. All I have is a tiny bit of flour in the bottom of a barrel. And I got a small bottle of oil also nearly gone. And I'm gathering these sticks to make a small fire. Don't need a big one. And I intend to make one last small loaf of bread. My son and I will eat it. And then with no food left and no food available even to purchase. After all, two years of famine will do that. I intend to lay down with my darling boy and starve to death. Now no doubt... This woman would not eat any of that last loaf. I'm absolutely sure she would feed the whole small loaf to her darling boy and tell him, I'm not hungry. And not eat one mouthful for herself. What a tragic story. 
And now Elijah has asked for some of that last loaf of bread. Notice carefully now what God said about the woman. He said, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain thee. Now, I don't think God whispered in that woman's ear, Elijah's coming to town, feed him when he gets here. I don't think he said that. I do think that somewhere ingrained in the woman's character was a desire always to be polite, always to put others first, always give whatever to anyone who asks, She wasn't an old woman. She had a young son. But in her upbringing was a training, a natural desire to serve others. And so God says, there's a woman I know who will feed you. It's her natural response to others. And of course, Elijah doesn't know she's on the verge of starvation herself until she tells them. One more cup of flour in the bottom of the barrel. A few drops of oil. And just a few little sticks in my arm is all it's going to take to bake it. And then we lay down and die. So was God wrong? Can this woman possibly feed Elijah? No, God was not wrong. Verse 13. Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. When it says the three of them ate for many days, many days comes to a year, a whole year. A year's worth of food for three people. For the widow, for her son, and for Elijah. Now let's stop for a minute and leave this pathetic scene behind. Let's turn our minds towards God and the pursuit of God and learning about God and coming to understand more and more about God. We are often mesmerized by great themes when we think about God. Eternity, bursting the limits of time into an endless future. God is eternal. Or we think about infinity, a creation that goes on and on, out pouring in unnumberable blessings beyond the limit of our infinitely small minds. God is infinite. And we think about mysterious, 
God is mysterious. We cannot comprehend the ways of God. How did he hang the stars in space? How did he fill the oceans with water? How does he move the hearts of men? God is mysterious. We can't grasp it. God is our redeemer. How did he pay the price for our sins on the cross? How was it he actually became a man? How could he obey God and never sin as a man? And how did he ever die? How is he our redeemer? Great minds have wondered. Brilliant minds have contemplated the vast and mysterious questions about God. And we stand full of awe and wonder, bowing down to the greatness of God. And yet, to consider those great themes and to wonder and wonder about those deep questions, that's not all that God is. There's a much more personal side to God, a down-to-earth side, a practical side. There are things about God you don't have to be a genius to grasp. Things simple and plain. No need, my friends, to say, I just can't understand the Bible. I can't grasp what God is about. No need to say that. Oh, no. Jesus, in an effort to teach us how to think correctly about God, says these words, When you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven. If you're going to learn to think correctly about God. Think him as a father, a personal, a close, a caring, loving family member. If you can do that, then you'll begin to grasp who God really is. So let's go back carefully and examine exactly what Elijah said to that widow that day when they first met. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. He did not say that the barrel would be full. He did not say that the the jar of oil would overflow. What he exactly said was, they will never be empty. Now I'm sure that when that widow woman went home, tipped the barrel on its side, and reached her cup down into the floor, scraping in the corners of that barrel, and she dropped the cup and dragged it along the bottom of the barrel came up with the last cup of flour. My friends, I don't think that barrel was ever full. I think every day for a whole year, she scraped the bottom of the barrel. 
every day for a year in the corner of the barrel was a full cup of flour. I think every single day she took the jar of oil, turned it upside down, and got out a teaspoon of oil. Enough to bake and flavor a loaf of bread that she was about to bake. Remember, Elijah said the barrel would never run out. He never said it would be full. Now you may ask, why didn't God just fill the barrel with flour? Because if the barrel's full, you could say, okay, I've got enough flour to break baked bread for a whole month. I'm all set for the next month. And you would trust the flour in the barrel for a month. That is not what God wants. He wants you to say every single day that cup of flour that I scraped off the bottom of the barrel, that came straight from God. So that every day when you scrape the bottom of a barrel and get your cup full of flour, you say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this cup you gave me today. Now that, my friends, has been God's method of operation since the very beginning. Remember, when God sent manna from heaven to Moses and the children of Israel out in the wilderness, they were instructed, only collect what you need for one day to make your bread. When people got greedy, they collected enough for two or three days took it in their tents. And the second day, it was rotten and stinking and full of worms. And God said, I told you enough for one day. Now the day before the Sabbath day, they could collect enough for two days. Every other day, one day's worth. So for 40 years, every day they got what they needed for that day. God doesn't want you to trust in a full barrel of flour. Just like God doesn't want you to trust in your bank account. Or your inheritance. Or your carefully laid plans. He wants you to trust in Him every day. My friends, we live in a time with a new attitude of our future is uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. If ever there was a time we needed to have ingrained in our thinking, we've got to trust God every single day. It's now. It's today. The barrel is not full. But thank you, Jesus, it never runs dry. That's what Jesus tried to teach us. That's why he tried to teach us. When you pray, say, our Father in heaven, and then say, give us this day our daily bread. 
Can't you see what God is trying to tell us? He's concerned about your welfare. He's concerned about your health. He's concerned about your daily frame of mind. He cares about your daily needs. And you ask, does our daily bread just mean our food? Jesus, it was Jesus who said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He wants you to give you sustenance for your soul. He wants to feed your soul every single day. And in these uncertain times, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray to Jesus every day. You need to thank God for everything that gets scraped off the bottom of the barrel every day. Religion is not just deep, unanswerable questions that we ponder and try to grasp. It's God loving you like a father loves his children, providing a constant source of care every day. So what God is trying to do is to get you to say every morning when you open your eyes before you get out of bed, God, I'm trusting you to help me today. And when that kind of faith is ingrained into your character, you'll never be able to say, I didn't pray today, or I didn't think to thank God today. (laughs) And God won't have to stand over you and say, what do you say? (laughs) Gratitude should be a daily way of living. And sometimes in the whole scheme of religion we tend to see the miraculous but miss the obvious. When John the Baptist was in prison, he sent a message to Jesus, "Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for?" John got pretty discouraged in prison. Jesus sent back a message. I want you to tell John this. Tell him that the blind receive their sight. That's a miracle. That the deaf can hear. That's a miracle. That people with twisted legs and deformed bodies can walk. That's a miracle. Lepers are made clean and their skin is all fresh and new. That's a miracle. But I want you to tell John one more thing. I want you to tell him the gospel is preached to the poor. Is that a miracle? The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the leper cleansed. Those are signs that the spirit of power is resting on the anointed one, the chosen one, the great Messiah. But here is what the heart of God rejoices in. The gospel is preached to the poor. The power of God rests on Jesus. He did much of his work in Galilee, constantly speaking to people who could only attend temple services three times a year. Who couldn't afford to sacrifice a bull or a ram. People who spent their lives struggling to survive. These people who have got all they can do just to make a living. These people who scrape every day off the bottom of the barrel 
I'm telling them, said Jesus, in their daily struggle, I've got good news for them. I'm here to help. I'll take care of you every day. It's a pleasure to give sight to a blind man. It's wonderful to make a lame man walk. I love to heal lepers from their diseases. But what delights me most is to preach the gospel to the poor to help everyday, ordinary, struggling people and give them something refreshing every single day and to lighten their load and to carry their burdens. That, my friends, is who God is. And so, in closing, four words. What do you say? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we are taken up with the love of God. We sense Him around us all the time, providing for us, caring for our needs. We happily scrape off the bottom of the barrel today and ask you, what do you have for me today? And with joy, we trust completely in you, come what may. Now, as the time in this world is what it is, we need you more than ever every single day. So come to us. And be kind to us and bless us and show us who you are. Help us to trust in you with all our hearts and to lean on you now more than ever. We look to you for help every single day and we want to say what we ought to say. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In closing, over in your hymn book, Page number 322, leaning on the everlasting arm. Standing as we sing, 322 in closing, leaning on the everlasting arm. Page 322, leaning on the everlasting arm. It's also on the front of your bulletin. Come on.
that we can come to you and the lean on your arms teach us each day to know that even if we are scraping the bottom of the barrel it is to help us and to help us learn that you are there for us that you will give us our daily bread show us these things help our hearts to be thankful in all circumstances help our hearts to be willing and ready to walk with you each day Take out the things in our lives that hold us back, the rebellious parts of us, the parts that we turn away in our hearts, the hard parts that are inside of us so often. Take those things out and soften us and teach us to walk daily with you, to lean on your everlasting arms. Just pray that our lives would be focused in this way and that each day we would do this, Lord. We are grateful that you are mighty. And above it all, no matter what happens here on this earth, we know that you are in control. We thank you for all of these things, and we ask for your help and your guidance and your protection. Bring back the people that are in this place and all around. Bring them back safely to this place, that we may worship you once again. May our hearts be ready and longing for this. We pray for all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen.